Ephesians. I'm just going to say a little bit, speak for a few moments, uh, because I'm excited about uh, starting this new series. It's not how I envisaged it. See, f- for you guys, you're kind of Sunday night, you're pumping up for Monday for the rest of your week. Uh, from a Monday morning, I'm pumping up for Sunday, because that's the highlight uh, of, of everything that I do. And so this isn't how I envisaged. We begin the series of uh, Ephesians, but I hope and pray that it will be a blessed time for us um, today and in the months that lie ahead. Hope it's like Job, our series in Job, that you will participate prayerfully, that you will prepare, that it will be part of the work that we do in our city groups as well, that God will speak powerfully to us. And we remember when we come to Ephesians, as we come to any part of Scripture, this is God-breathed Scripture for us, okay? Um, it's God-breathed. So uh, Paul begins by setting that out. He says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God. And he's, he's doing what he does in a lot of his other letters. He's uh, setting out his authority, his credentials to be able to do this. That he is uh, not just self-appointed. He's not just a nutcase uh, bringing some kind of fanciful ideas. He is sent by God. Uh, he is, uh, it's an official beginning to his letter, technical beginning to his letter. And he is saying, I am coming, I'm representing God, as this is God-breathed scripture, and uh, it is important uh, truth. And it's important, uh, those written to the Ephesians, um, it seems very much to be a letter that would be like a circular, that would go maybe to around a lot of different churches around Ephesus and uh, around Asia Minor and that area. But it's not like a circular that we would get in, uh, in the post. You get circulars in the post every week, and we throw them away. They go straight into the, the circular filing cabinet. We don't look at them. They happen. They come all the time. Circulars generally are ignored. But it wasn't like that for this kind of circular. Uh, this was more like if you were part of a family, uh, and you got a lawyer's letter with a, a message of an inheritance, you would all want to read that circular you would all want to pass that around the family because it's some very important news. That's the kind of uh, letter that we have here. Not a boring circular, but something uh, of great significance and great importance. And he really introduces it um, with a welcome. And then I'm going to focus on just a couple of verses which uh, are the theme of the whole book. So if you remember these verses, it's really what the whole book is about in verses 9 and 10. Uh, making known to us that uh, we have redemption through his blood uh, with the riches of his grace, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. So it's the uniting of everything under Christ. That's the purpose of the gospel. That's the purpose of God. That's the purpose of his will. That's what's going to happen in the future. So I want to say two things briefly. First of all, uh, Christians are part of something big. They're part of something important. That's what Paul wants to get across to the churches and also to us. Uh, This is a pivotal verse. And he's saying that when we become Christians, we become part of something really big, something important. It's great to be part of something big, isn't it? We, We like the thought of that or to have been around when something big was happening. Uh, could be anything really but it's nice for us to say I was there, I was part of that or I remember that well I was around in 1985 when Live Aid happened or 
when uh, Kennedy was assassinated, or the first person on the moon. These are illustrations from my generation, not yours. Most of you weren't born. But, you know, we like to be um, uh, involved with or around when something important is happening. And that is very true uh, for the Christian. We are part of something that's very important that God is doing. Part of, we're adopted into a cosmic event that's happening. And, and that's really great for us. We are swept up into God's eternal purposes. And that's glorious. It's glorious that we are part of something really big that he has planned, that he has done, that he is doing, that he will be doing. And as Christians, we belong to that. And so we are part of something really big. So the reminder to us is that Christian life isn't something trivial for us. It's not something insignificant. And it's not something unimportant. And Paul, when he speaks here about these great truths of God and what he's doing and what he will do, he's not, it's not fable that he's speaking. Paul isn't trying to make up something that would sound really good. Paul was in prison. But he's been given this unique message. It's not that he's leading a great bunch of people to overturn the world with his message at some kind of human level. He's not making up something to make everyone else feel good about what they are. This is truth that he's been given. There would be no reason to make up this truth. There'd be no valid reason to make up the truth of God's eternal plan and God's future in Christ to unite everything in heaven and on earth under him. It doesn't make sense. I'm going to explain that a little bit more. Christians are part of something big. Christians then are also part of something new. Okay? Um, newness is an important emphasis in Ephesians. There's, there's new, the word new is used quite a lot. We have a new life. We, we have a new way of doing things. We're a new community. And uh, that's part of what Ephesians is trying to teach us. Um, and so not only are we part of something big, we're, something, we're part of something new. The gospel is about as Christians, as being uh, reborn. We are new people. Verse 1 reminds us of that. Uh, He says that we are saints and we are faithful. And that's uh, the description he gives of Christians. You know, you you like getting, maybe not, uh, sometimes, but it's nice sometimes, isn't it, to get someone else's description of us. You know, some occasionally when I do the marriage course with people, uh, I get... Uh, the, the couples to, to uh, not speak to one another and write down the things that they really like about the other person. Okay? That's always really interesting. And also the things that they find difficult about the other person. That's even more interesting. And I've been privy to some very interesting things. Um, but it's great because you see the reaction of the other person. I didn't know that's what you thought about me. Well, that's tremendous. That's what, and pe- we like being... In, in some cases, we like people describing us to us, what we're like. Well, this is a description of what we are like as Christians. We are servants, uh, we are saints, sorry, and we are faithful. Okay, we're not uh, people who are pious or deserving of sainthood, but it means that as Christians we're chosen, we're set apart. Christ has chosen us, Christ's work is in us, We are called out. Every one of us are called out to serve. That's personal, but it's for every Christian. You're a saint. But you're also uh, faithful. Now, that doesn't mean that you're reliable. That's not the meaning here. 
It's not that you're someone that's trustworthy at that level, although we ought to be and we ought to be faithful. It's speaking more that we are people of faith, the faithful, the people of faith, as opposed to the people who are faithless, who have no faith. We've experienced, as he says, this grace and this peace that's spoken of here. We've been transformed by Christ. So whatever else you're described as a Christian, as a Christian, you're someone who is a saint, you're set apart, you've been called, you're part of something big, you belong, and you're someone who has faith. It's a gift from God, okay? You have faith. You're not faithless. It's set apart from people who don't have faith. You're faithless. You're faithful. And that is whatever else should be what describes us as Christians. So we're new people because we are people of, who are saints and we're people who are faithful. But we're also uh, going to be part uh, of this new creation that he's uh, speaking about, where he's going to unite everything to him, things in heaven and things on earth. That is part of God's plan. He says in verse uh, 4 that this has been his plan before the foundation of the world. So this whole new creation that we are in Christ and that we're going to belong to when he unites everything to us in the new heavens and new earth has always been his plan. So if I'm talking about newness and Ephesians talks about newness, it's an old plan, really. It's, it's his only plan, actually. And there's never been another one. And there's no plan B. This has always been what he's doing. And so we're redeemed into this great, new, old, saving purpose of God. And uh, we will be part of his new creation. And this new creation is coming and will come. And this plan that he has is set forth in Christ. It's the mystery of his will that's made known. So Paul speaks a lot about mystery. 21 times he speaks about the mystery that's made known. So, and when he speaks about mystery, he's just speaking about what was previously hidden that's now been revealed. So what was hidden in the Old Testament that is now revealed in the New? It's a crucified God. A crucified Savior is Jesus Christ and the cross. Uh, you know, 1 Corinthians 1.18 speaks about that. that that's, it's the foolishness of the cross. That is the revelation of uh, God's great plan. So the cross, which we would have celebrated today, the death of Jesus in the communion, but we will too tonight, is at the very center of all history. It's the center of his mystery. It's the center of his plan. It's the center of what will happen in the future. It's uh, this place where there, there's a revelation of his infinite love and his infinite justice and his purpose for all of human that everything revolves around the cross of Jesus Christ that it's not insignificant it's not unimportant it's not a byproduct that it's the can we imagine that it's the very center it's the mystery that's revealed the very center point of all history is God the son nailed to a tree you simply couldn't make that up. You simply wouldn't make that up. It is God's mystery that's revealed to us through the cross in Christ. It's set forth in Christ. Everything about Christ, his incarnation, his carpentry, his life, but his atoning death, his resurrection on the third day, his ascension, all of that is God's great mystery. God's great plan. It's where we are redeemed. It's where we have hope. That's why we can 
crazily come out on a cold morning and sit in a miserable cold church and hear the gospel and worship Jesus Christ because of who he is and because of this mystery. And this mystery reveals a cosmic unity. What a plan where he will unite all things in heaven and on earth under him, restoring the original unity and deepening it. Because what what, what sin brought in was disunity, wasn't it? Disharmony. Uh, Separation from ourselves and God and from ourselves and the environment and from ourselves and ourselves. But the the ultimate, the ultimate outworking of the cross is a cosmic unity where he restores the original unity in the universe and it deepens that. Where he, it's as if the cross has uh, drawn out like a sting, drawn out death and sin like a sting, drawn it into the public, into the, uh, the open. And in doing so, he has lanced that desperate, uh, evil uh, in the, on the cross and, and what's, he's made it what is latent kind of he's made it very obvious and, and seen and active and he's dealt with it and he's destroyed it on the cross as if without the cross evil would never ultimately have been dealt with it's a strange mystery but the reality is in so doing he's reversing the tyranny and the division and the friction and the tension and the brokenness of this planet and the environmental disasters and the tensions and the death and the sin and the hell and all that goes with rebellion against God and he, the, his final purpose is uniting all things in heaven and on earth in him. A new heavens and a new earth. Unity. And all that goes with that all the promises of revelation, all the beauty, all the love, all the connectivity, all the worship, all the glory. I'm just going to finish very briefly in four minutes, with four minutes. Why is that not obvious now? Okay, that's his plan. He set it forth in Christ that unity, unity between ourselves and God, unity in the universe, unity between heaven and earth will all be, is all his plan. Why can't we see that now? Paul's writing this from a stinking prison cell. Why? You know, he, he, in 2 Corinthians 11, he gives that list, that litany of suffering, of nakedness, of peril, of shipwreck, of everything that he's experienced. What good is this unity that he speaks of when his life is hellish and miserable and rotten? What, what is it all about? Why isn't it obvious what Jesus is promising and what's supposed to be happening? Why isn't there this unity in heaven and in earth? It seems worse than ever. Well, there is evidence of unity and accord. And the first is uh, in this letter spoken of in chapter 2, verse 14. He speaks about a new unity between Jew and Gentile. The New Testament church uh, breaks down cultural divisions uh, and the hatreds that there were. So there's unity in this New Testament church between Jew and Gentile in a way that could never have been envisaged. There's a unity today in your heart and in my heart so that God's purpose of uniting us to him is working its way through our testimony because we have a new heart. 
and we have a love for him where we hated him or ignored him before. And the rest of, of, of well, not the rest, but chapters 4 to 6 of Ephesians is all about the outworking of the unity that has been won by Jesus Christ in the ethics of our lives, in our marriages, in our homes, in our workplaces. Everything is a reflection of the new unity that Christ has won. So it can be seen in our hearts and then as a result in our lives. There's, you know, we, we, we celebrate the Lord's Supper tonight and that's a visual demonstration of what Jesus has done. Well, our lives also are a visual demonstration or are, are, are asked to be visual demonstration of what Jesus is doing. So in every believer, there's evidence. In the church, there should be evidence because this book of Ephesians speaks about the new community that we are. And it's a community of grace and of peace, as he spoke of. And it's a community that's to reflect what this great new heavens and the new earth community will be like. So the kingdom of heaven is now as well as in the future. So this little group of people here that we are as a community are to be part of God's great plan and we're to reveal what God's purposes are in the love that we have for one another. The church, and Ephesians is all about the church, is so essential because it's the community that reflects the work of Jesus Christ. It's why division and disunity in the church is the most ugly thing of all because it most damns what Christ has done. It most reflects badly on Jesus because Jesus came to unite all things in him, things in heaven and on earth. And the church is to be the first home of that. So unity at a church level with one another is not soft-centered Christianity. It's absolutely the core. And it's the way we deal with division and bitterness and hurt and pain and suffering and let down and all the things that we all experience as Christians together is how we deal with them in Christ because we're a new community. So there is, there is to be evidence, and Paul is, is speaking in this letter, that there is to be evidence of God's great plan. And I finish with this, but the plan is not yet finished and fulfilled. According to his purpose, verse 10, as a plan for the fullness of time. That means there is a time where it's right for it to be finally uh, ushered in and revealed and made known when he returns. So he's been here. He has lived and he's died. He's rose again. He's ascended. He said he will return. And when he returns, he will usher in the new heavens and new earth in the fullness of time, when his time is right. We can question, we can argue, we can wish it were different, but in the fullness of time, he will return, he will judge the living and the dead, and he will usher in the new heavens and the new earth. The plan is not yet fulfilled. I think I've said this before, but for many years I walked through the meadows to church, to the study. And uh, maybe 11, 12 years ago, there used to be the billboard at the quarter mile with the picture, with the drawings, beautiful drawings of the original Royal Infirmary old stone building and beside it the beautiful glass buildings that they were going to build. And you looked at it and the place was a building site. And you thought, 
There's no way that's going to look like that. It's amazing. It's almost, it's almost uh, uh, otherworldly. It'll never look like that. And now when I walk through the meadows from Marchmont, and you look at the quarter mile, and there is stone building glass, stone building glass, stone building glass, glass, glass. And this glorious picture that there was in a billboard is absolutely as the drawing now in reality. And if you go out into that corridor before you freeze to death, you will see architects' drawings of the flat downstairs that we are turning into offices and into rooms for kids' church, warm rooms. Okay? And they're architects' drawings. And they're flat on one, de- one, one page. And they're full of measurements and details. But it doesn't quite look cool. It doesn't look like the drawings, like the pictures of the quarter mile. But they're absolutely accurate. And now, going down into the flat, I can begin to see it all taking shape beautifully. And one day, soon, it's going to be finished. But the drawings have been made. The foundation is already laid. And we're absolutely assured it will come to its conclusion and it will look just as the plan says. Now that is what's happening here. God is saying the plan is in place. In the fullness of time, the foundation has been laid in Jesus Christ. Every last detail is in place, is measured out, is going to happen, and it's going to look glorious and beautiful. That place of no more tears, no more death, no more separation. All of these glorious pictures that were given will come to pass in the new heavens and the new earth. And he will unite all things. He will unite creation. He will unite the environment. He will unite the angels. uh, And he will unite us all in Christ. We will be united. The foundations have been drawn. The artist's impressions have been made. They will, this will happen because of what Jesus Christ has done. You're a Christian today, you're part of something big. You're something, part of something new. Never forget that. Never minimize what you are, what you have as a Christian. Never think that Christian, your Christianity is trivial. And if you're not a believer, can I ask you why you're not a believer uh, when this newness, this sainthood, this faith gift is offered to you. Uh, are you confident enough to remain outside of this plan? This glorious artist's impression, which has been sealed in his blood as a resurrected, redeeming God, where the cross is the absolute center of God and God's will and God's person and God's character. Are you willing to cast it aside for a few years of dubious freedom and self-autonomy. Please consider Jesus Christ over these days and weeks and months. And may we be blessed in communion together uh, this evening. Let's pray. Father God, help us, we ask, to know you, to love you. Uh, We thank you for your message. We thank you for your word. Take it, we pray. Forgive the speed and the shallowness of our study of your word today. Uh, understand our weakness and bless our fellowship. But may Christ be very real to us, very new to us, very big to us. May we rejoice in this amazing plan that you have chosen us to be part of uh, by your grace simply because you have chosen us. And Lord, help us to
uh, respond to your invitation. And may the Holy Spirit be very real in our midst, very real in our church, very real in our community. And may we reflect the newness that we ought to do. And uh, forgive us, Lord, for all our weakness and our failure and our sin. And help us to be blessed by you. For Jesus' sake, amen.